Captain, we have them. We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek Discovery podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Hello and welcome to Transporter Lock, episode number 74 for Saturday, January 16th, 2021. I'm your co-host, Chief Engineer Ken Gagney, with a brief technical note before we get into today's show. The Transporter Lock podcast is now available on even more streaming platforms. That's right. You can now find us on Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the Internet Archive. This is in addition to all the other services we've always been on, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Amazon Music, Mixcloud, Overcast, Acast. Anywhere you want to find us, we are there. So go ahead and enjoy those additional outlets. And on that note, I'm going to continue on with this week's show. Here is my regular co-host, Captain Sabriel Maston. And I even broadcast the podcast weekly outside my back door in the garage. <laughs> for anybody who's walking by no uh, you just put that boom box out and let yeah people listen yeah once it, it goes live i don't care what time of day it is that's uh, awesome on repeat <laughs> and every now and then there are those like patreon exclusive episodes that you only air once <laughs> and they need to be a subscriber show up with a ticket and they get to listen that's great people bring their lawn chairs it's awesome but anyway <laughs> socially distant masked outdoors all that you know but we are here this week to talk about the entirety of season three of Discovery, which just concluded. We reviewed every one of the 13 episodes. And now we're here to take a step back and look at the whole picture. And who better to do that with than science commander Susan Arndt. Hello, Susan. Hello. I'm so glad to be back. This is always so much fun getting to talk with you guys. It's one of my favorite times to get on this podcast is when I think I've enjoyed a show and you come on to tell me how wrong I am. Point out the error of your ways, and you feel shame as a minor action. <laughs> it would be different if you were wrong, but you rarely are. <laughs> so, Susan, we yes. have all of us been watching the third season of Star Trek Discovery. They leapt into the future. They encountered the burn. Georgiou went back into the past. A whole lot of different staffing changes as far as commanders and captains. We have already reviewed the finale, but in its entirety, what did you think of the third season of Discovery? Overall, I was I was really, really happy with it and happy with a lot of the choices that they made because I thought it was good, just not from an isolated show perspective, but also for Star Trek at large. And then they screwed it up right at the very end. <sighs> So before we get to that, what was it that you liked about what Discovery did for the Star Trek franchise? So what I really liked about that was, okay, we're not going to be hamstrung by the technology, the stuff that you're used to seeing. We're going to send it so far into the future that we can basically rewrite all the rules. For example... They don't have to carry phasers and tricorders and these physical objects with them all the time. They don't have to have, you know, the little uh, messenger bag full of equipment when they're off planet because it's all these whatever misty mumbo jumbo tech kind of whatever. It's all in your uniform. It's all in your badge. It's all whatever. And I love that because they need access to these things. Obviously, they need to have 
their phaser or their tricorder or their communicator or their whatever, but there's never been an elegant way for them to have that stuff. Starfleet never made pockets. I'm not sure why. Don't know what the problem is there. But and on, for example, Next Generation, you could always tell something was about to go down when they had Velcroed a holster onto the costume. Oh, like, oh, okay, someone's going to need a gun. They're getting in a fight. Oh, that's the tricorder holster. Okay, someone's going to need to analyze something. And it just, it, it, it broke the immersion. So I love that. I also particularly loved that they destroyed the Federation. How interesting is that? Really? Oh my gosh. It's, yeah, because the, the cool thing about, for example, Voyager's idea was what do you do with a crew that is of the Federation but has no access to them? Hmm. And Voyager never really explored that idea as well as I had hoped they would. The idea of having the blended crew of Maquis, terrorists, hi, and the Federation, Starfleet, super cool, loved it. They never really made that work. I think they tried for a while and because of the time and place and the network hopping that Voyager was doing it, they they couldn't quite pursue it the way I think they might possibly be able to do now in in a more modern environment. But I love that the Federation is gone because what do you do? The only thing you have in the future is each other and what you know and what you came from. The thing you swore allegiance to doesn't exist. The things you're used to relying on are gone. Now what? That's interesting. That is really, really interesting to me. And that's really fresh. And that allows them to tell new kinds of stories. Part of the the problem that I've had with Star Trek for a while is it gets to feel a little samey. And when it's not feeling samey, then it's doing stuff like, what are you doing? Stop. (laughs) Talking about Voyager, I think, is actually really good as a comparison because uh, one of the showrunners or head writers uh, for the season is... Kristen Beyer, who Voyager is her baby. She loves the Voyager universe and she has written countless books that take place the post-Voyager getting home uh, scene. And the fact that she shoved Voyager into the season of Discovery is like her all over it. And the fact that she can have this ship, the Federationless ship, uh, Star Trek ship, doing its thing without the Federation like Voyager should have. Uh, I mean, it's her all over the place. She yeah. even does it in the continuation books. More Federation ships go away, back to the Delta Quadrant, away from the Federation. She loves that. She loves Star Trek without the Federation, even if they're still part of the Federation. Uh, and so you picked up on that. like Absolutely. That's her all over it. Yeah. What do you do when you don't have to follow the rules because no one's going to see it if you don't? Who are you when no one's watching? That's the core question that is asked when you blow the federation to bits i i thought it was beautiful so do you feel this season was more or less interesting once they found federation eight headquarters i love it then because see that that i love that i love that because now right like now it's oh 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 we can rebuild the thing because then it's questions of well do you want to rebuild the thing is rebuilding the thing really the the right way to go 
Should that thing still exist? Or has it outlived its purpose? Should the thing look different than it used to? Because the universe is different. Everything's changed. What you know, the, All of those questions of, because you've got the ideal of the Federation, but then there's the reality of the Federation. And which one is the thing that you're actually trying to make? Love all that. I see. I love explorations of the idealized version of establishments versus what that actually plays out in practice. And especially that speaks to me because I have such an idealized vision of the Federation. I only see the good in it. You know, it's what happens when, and this is, this is why Sahil is, is one of my favorite characters <laughs> ever. It's, it's what happens when people put their differences aside and work together towards a common goal. It's a whole lot of other things besides that. Many of which are not great. Uh, speaking of the Federation and Discovery's new timeline, did you also have the feeling that you couldn't shake that something is going on here that we are not privy to for most of, most of the season? About the Federation? Like, well, I can never... There, there, were, there were times when, like, the Vulcans implied, you don't know what sort of compromises the Federation has made in the last hundred years, and that's why we're hesitant to rejoin. Mm. And we don't know what that was. Well, there's a whole lot of baggage there, for sure. That they're, like... <laughs> I just yeah. love it. They're, like, walking... <laughs> Basically, Discovery did the equivalent of, you know when you walk into a room where a, a couple has just like they're in a fight and you walked in during a lull and you have no <laughs> idea they're fighting and you're like duh, 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 hey guys what's up <laughs> and they're and they're trying to put on their best face it's that that's what discovery just did <laughs> uh yeah for much of much of the season uh while we were recording like i kept feeling like there is something more going on here with the federation that i could not shake and it turned out not to be true uh and i'm very happy that we got admiral vance I love that guy. I love him. Well, I love I love Odette Fair, period, the end. But I also love the character of Vance. Mm. See, I don't know him from before here. He is – okay. Everybody's homework. Go watch the first Mummy movie with Brendan Fraser. Oh, wait. Yes, he was in there. That's right. Wow. We talked about that. Yes, he was. <laughs> Remind me who he was in that movie. He's the leader of the – oh, I don't remember what the group is, but they protect – uh, the book oh. to prevent bringing the mummy back. He's that guy. He has the tattoos on his faces, on his face, and he's he teams up with Brendan Fraser to defeat the mummy. You know that is the best of the mummy movies. I should go rewatch it anyway. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> also true. It's really good. It holds up. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, we had the suspicion the whole time that Avril Vance had questionable motives or that he was withholding information from discovery that he should have been sharing with them. And the moment for me that start got me finally thinking, maybe he's not such a bad guy is when he contradicted Saru and said, go on this mission to save Giorgio. Mm, mm -hmm. And that was when I started thinking, maybe he actually is a good guy. And the more we saw him, the more we liked him when he was, negotiating with Osira, that was a great moment for him. And also at the end when he had that scene with Michael and he talked about his wife and child. The, what I really, and this, and this again goes to the, the, the things I like about how discovery got to break things. 
you have no idea what he's been struggling with. If this was in the regular Star Trek timeline, you'd it would be obvious that he was either on your side or not because you know the context hmm. of his existence as a Starfleet Admiral. Yeah. Now, you got no clue, no idea whatsoever the the struggles he deals with, the challenges he's faces he's faced. None of it. None of us do. The viewers don't either. You know, Discovery doesn't. We as viewers don't. And that's way more interesting to me. Yeah. In a lot of ways, in the TNG era, the admirals were making much easier decisions. Like, oh, you've detected mm-hmm. some activity along the Romulan side of the neutral zone. Well, let's send some more ships over there to monitor it. And that's it. But yeah. with Admiral Vance, they don't have as many ships and they don't have the power to get to as many places. So he has to make some really hard decisions like, we don't have the ships to send to the neutral zone. So where do we send them and where do they come from and where do we pull them away from? These are very limited resources. It's so, okay, I'm going to get mildly political right now. (laughs) Star Trek has always been a very American show Mm -hmm. because Starfleet, Starfleet's there to save everybody and they know best and they're the the big the big guy in the room. They're the Total most powerful. 60s. Yeah, exactly. They're the most powerful. They have the most resources. They have the best scientists. They have everything. And now they don't. And now they're not number 1. And that to me is far more interesting. I don't always want to It's easy when you're the most powerful. It's exactly what you just said, Ken. Their decisions are easy because they can just throw ships at it. Well, now you can't. Now the decisions are harder. Now you actually have to make choices. And sometimes it's between really bad choices. Which bad choice is less bad? Way more interesting to me. And do you feel that in that sense, it's still an American show? Because what you just said describes some of where we've been in the last four years. Yep. So kind of like how Enterprise and the the Zindi story arc was a pretty obvious parallel to the 9-11 terrorist attacks, mm-hmm. Discovery is doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like maybe you should care a little bit more about your place in everything and understand you're on top one day, next day, who knows what happens and oh, wow, now you need help. Hmm. To that end, I wish we would not have gotten rid of the Emerald Chain. Thank you. <laughs> we could use them as a new villain or even not necessarily villain, but antagonist. Uh, and just threw them away at the end in one throwaway line. Michael is like, yeah. And they all just quit being Emerald chain. <laughs> like, Why? We have a new villain or antagonist. At least they could still be your equal and not be the bad guys. Uh, they just had a bad person in charge. And now we're stuck with, well, we don't know what we're going to get in the future. We have no clue. I mean, we still have the Klingons. We have no idea what they're doing. Uh, and so many other people of the Alpha Quadrant that were hell. Now they can talk about the whole galaxy, it sounds like, uh, in that time period. But I don't know. I think we lost something we could have had that was really cool. Susan, is that what you were referring to when they screwed it all up at the end? That's part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Because there were so many different ways to go with that. First of all, I appreciate that the Emerald Chain was a different kind of antagonistic force. It was one based in commerce, as opposed to, rawr, we want to kill everybody who doesn't look like us, rawr. 
which is again is a very 60s kind of mm-hmm. simplistic uh, approach to your enemies i loved 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 so much when osira comes to vance and says we want to join with you we want to have a a a new federation that's part federation part emerald chain you could have gone so many different ways with that storyline so many because isn't that interesting now instead of ye old classic we're better than everybody federation it's a federation that has some dirty secrets and that has some blood on its hands and is not all high and mighty and is more realistic well hell it could be the starfleet and maquis that we never got exactly yes 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 and osira uh, yes, please put someone in charge who has this really, really checkered past. She, you know, yes, I I did the things I did to get here. Now I'm here and I want to move forward in a positive way. So much you can do with that. Nope. No. Let's just kill her, break up the Emerald Chain, take all the new interesting stuff and get rid of it. Awesome. Yeah, it was a real return to the status quo. And mm-hmm. whether they united to form some sort of a Emerald Federation would have been interesting, or whether Ooh. the Emerald Chain and the negotiations failed and they ended up being antagonists, as Sayreel said, at least we would have that tension. Like, we know yeah. that they're, the future is still not perfect. They still need to rebuild the Federation, but that is a return to the status quo. That's their goal here, even a thousand years from now. And that is a status quo that we are well familiar with already. I mean, yep. just think if Earth had joined the Emerald Chain. They're very isolationist now, but just think like that whole like fight of like, who is Earth joining? I mean, that's kind of a cool right there because we are Earth. Like, we're all Earthlings. Well, have you ever read the John Scalzi novel, Old Man's War? No. S- Susan? No. <sighs> well, basically, when people get to be a certain age... Uh, when they're old and retired and nearing the end of their lives, they have the option to go up this space elevator that is on Earth, and they don't know what happens when they go up because nobody ever comes back and no communications are allowed back down to Earth. Very Logan's run. Except what happens is they actually are given new young bodies and they join an intergalactic space force. (laughs) Okay. You know, I should have seen that coming with the lead-in, but I didn't see that coming. (laughs) So there's a whole Starfleet type of thing out there that is comprised entirely of Earthlings that Earth knows nothing about. That's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. And they actually end up building a federation that includes member worlds and aliens, but not Earth, even though it's founded by Earthlings. (laughs) Yeah. So it's really cool. Anyway. Brief tangent there. But fitting. Uh, I mean, imagine they, they came together to make the Emerald Federation, and this whole thing has been a either a ploy of Osiris, and then, you know, mid-season four, there's some kind of really cool betrayal, or she's legit, she straight up means it, but of those beneath her in the Emerald Chain are like, this is ridiculous, we were better on our own. Right. And they move in for some kind of coup... Or 
somebody in the Federation is like, I am not dealing with these Emerald Chain people. And the coup comes from them. There's so many ways you could have yep. gone with that. I mean, we yeah. saw Chakotay putting the beat down on his own Maquis members to get them in line with the Federation. I would have loved to have seen Osira trying to do that. Mm-hmm. I would say, like, for a good share of, well, heck, Osiris was only a threat for, like, half a season, despite yeah, true. Emerald Chain. Like, I was starting to really like her, especially in the Die Hard episode when they did the uh, chess fight between her and Vance. I really liked her at that moment, and then I felt like they didn't do her justice to finish her off. But, ah, uh, shite, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> Well, I thought it was interesting that in the negotiation she had with Vance, she outlined the things she was willing to oh. give up. And she did ask that the commerce at some starbase be sanctioned. But other than that, I didn't see a lot that was being asked of the Federation. I didn't see that a lot of their morals, values, and goals were being asked to be compromised. And I feel like if they had merged, it would have been more Federation than it would have been Emerald Chain. I mean, maybe so. Don't have much to add to that. I mean, it, it might have been. I mean, there can be some tensions there. Like, oh, this isn't what I had hoped. I hadn't. This is what I. Had, this is not what I had envisioned. Uh, we're gonna back be Emerald Chain again. See a Federation. Uh, <laughs> oh, that would have been interesting. Like, yeah, not not just what I thought. It was I take it back? Take it back, seats. Um, oh, that episode, that that chess scene, basically between her and Vance, is where I really felt the Emerald Chain was actually starting to be a thing. Was starting to be a villain. That was where I was going because, like, honestly, I felt like very one note up until that scene where she was had come to Vance, and that's where they got interesting, and they just drop them so quickly. I was so disappointed. I I almost feel like all of that was to set up the scientist in the wheelchair. Yeah, Aurelio. Mm-hmm. Yes, I got the name right. I didn't add the S. Like she. <laughs> The whole, like the all of the end game was there so that he would have to because he she's been very kind to him, very kind, very generous. Everything good in his life is because of her, and he's forced to finally see her vicious side, and I, and then it doesn't go anywhere. I I don't know. I I'm just well, yeah, how exactly? You- it could have been so much cooler if. She's still alive. Yeah. And now he has to deal with that. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Oh, so if they both were alive but on now opposite sides, and sometimes they would have to encounter each other in future seasons. Yeah. Uh-huh. And you have this tension of divided loyalties. Yep. Gotcha. Of course, it would have been cooler if she was his mate, but. Oh. I thought they were kept, kept trying to tug that, hint that, and then, like, no, that's not it. And that, yeah, that was, because that would, oh my gosh, that would have been so cool, but. Nope. Mm-mm. I don't think we'll ever see him again. Really? Yeah. Just like, mm. uh, I mean, when Rin first showed up, the Andorian, we thought we're never going to see him again. And then he did show up for a few more episodes, but then they killed him. So I think everybody who was introduced this season who wasn't either Vance or Booker will probably never see again. Mm, possibly true. Also, fun side note, not only is he the actor uh tilly's husband he is also the dm of their D games yes it's so good <laughs> yes rin brought a lot to the show this season <laughs> i love seeing anthony raps recaps of their adventures <laughs> so good hey since it came up susan what did you think of the addition of cleveland booker to the cast i love him 
I love him as a character. Uh, he also did a, a great job of being that bridge between here's what we understand about old Star Trek and here's how the new universe has has shaken out. He introduces Michael to the new technology and couriers and all of these things that we as an audience need to learn. And I thought that was a, a, because you got to do that info dump somehow. So doing it via this very charismatic, likable, charming character, good solution. Also, cat. (laughs) (laughs) Grudge. I just, I I love that it's, there's absolutely no reason for Grudge to be in the show. None. But A, she is. And B, he worships her (laughs) so much. It's too perfect. I just adore it. I'm, uh, I would have liked it better if he and Mako weren't in love, but whatever. Why do do you say that? I really don't need Michael breathlessly talking to someone about, you have to do what you have to do. And this is the future. Like, just stop it, okay? Can you just stop doing the breathy, believe in yourself thing for one episode, please? Come on. But on the other hand, it is nice to see her in a healthy relationship for once. I guess. <laughs> I mean, for, for me, I'm like, yeah, I could have gone without her just not having a relationship for a season at least. Thank you. But if it were, if it had to be someone, I'm so glad it's Booker because I hated Ash Tyler and I believe in Booker, Book and her more than two seasons or season whatever of Ash and her. Okay, that's true. 100% I agree with that. Yes, I they do have chemistry together. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so yeah, it, whatever. It's a <laughs> thing now. But uh, I, I could have gone without. But I'm it's glad it's him. <laughs> I, I could have gone without. I don't need a romance. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know what? We have a lovely married couple who now have an adopted child. Give me that all day. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Oh, that's a, uh, that's a very good point. I mean, it's kind of like in the cinematic versions of The Hobbit, where they just forced a love triangle in there, where there was none in the books, just because, well, that's what you do with female characters. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Such a waste. Such a waste. But I did like Booker as a person, as you said. I I find his empathic abilities not very clearly defined. They are quite convenient when they need to be. Yep. Um, the Star Trek way. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how that miraculously plays out in the future. I'm wondering uh, what his role in Starfleet <laughs> is going to be because it seems like his career as a courier isn't going very far now that he crashed his ship into the shuttle bay. I have the feeling he's going to be the Neelix kind of... You know, how, Remember how Neelix had all these contacts mm-hmm. and he knew uh-huh. like if you need thing, Oh, well you're going to want to go here and talk to, mm. I think books book is going to yep. fulfill that role while also, uh, magically being able to, there was, there was some kind of, he read the manual for something and suddenly knew how to do mm-hmm. something really, really technical on the ship. You know, when you okay. said he was going to be the Neelix, my first thought was I, I pictured him in the mess hall cooking for the whole crew. <laughs> that would be fun, too. I wouldn't say no. Star yeah. Trek has a f- severe lack of the chef thing. And they tried to put Neelix in there, but they didn't use it well. And they teased it in Enterprise. They didn't use it well. And they 
barely touched on it with the cafe, the Klingon cafe in DS9. <laughs> I didn't do it well. I could have done so much more with having the chef character. I'm just surprised Book survived. This really felt to me like a season where somebody was going to have to make a sacrifice. We've seen characters die like Arium, but she wasn't very well known. We've seen characters leave like Nan, but she wasn't very well known. But Book, I mean, yeah, we saw Rin die, but as clever as a character or especially as an actor as he was, I never really cared about Rin. No, no. no. And so I thought there was going to have to be some sacrifice, and I really thought it was going to be either Book or Giorgio. And yeah, neither well, died. It kind of was Giorgio. She wasn't sacrificed, though. Well, oh, true, but she she is no longer there. Yes, but yeah, they're not. They're it, it was never going to be book because that is an, a strong, attractive male character in your show. <laughs> and seriously, think about it. Who else is in the show? It's all ladies. <laughs> uh huh. Well, that, All of the major, strong, action-oriented characters are women. Mm-hmm. So now we got Book. That's a question I had for that. you, actually, was last time you were on the show, recapping season two of Discovery. Actually, Well, you've been on since then. But when you were recapping that season, you very emphatically pointed out to me that all the characters who actually made stuff happen in that season were the mm-hmm. women. Yep. Do you feel mm-hmm. the third season of Discovery continued that tradition? Yep. Well, no. Saru was a much more important character in this season because he was he he understands the politics of of Starfleet and of knowing your role and knowing your duty and not just doing whatever the heck you want to do. He's that guy. And so he was much more involved and engaged but by and large it was tilly and michael and giorgio mm-hmm. no no argument there it was with a little bit of jet a little bit of uh owo and kayla oh that's true we did see detmer get some airtime in the first half of the season while she was struggling with her ptsd we saw her get airtime <laughs> yeah there you go yes mm-hmm well, as you said, it's Avril. It's the TV version of PTSD. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I, I am. I am. This season had a lot of coping and showing people actually suffering and uh, hurting and working through that. And now, like, I so much appreciate that they had Detmer go through PTSD. And I was telling the others over the whole season, like, it was the shortened TV version of recovery. Sure. But they did show it, and I really appreciated that. And I think Kayla was great for that because she's this macho ace pilot that people I was around in college a lot because I went to an aviation school. Like, I know exactly her type there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to see someone like her work through that, I thought was really awesome. We saw a lot of people working through a lot of tough stuff this season, including the entire crew. All of a sudden, we're out of place. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that Thanksgiving and- dinner scene was. <laughs> It was interesting in a lot of different ways. Like I loved when they were bonding and then I loved when it all fell apart because that's what a family does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that, I, I, Thanksgiving dinner was one of my favorite scenes of the whole season. Mm-hmm. And then of course, when the computer Zora comes along and says, well, why don't you just show them a funny movie instead? <laughs> and it worked. <laughs> 
Like even other traumas. We even saw the Guardian of Forever working through trauma, hiding away on some distant planet because of the temporal wars. We saw uh, Dira working through losing Grey, going with, I have this worm in my body now. Uh, Culver. Joe with the fact that she's dying. Yeah, Giorgio dying. Giorgio, like, softening up. <laughs> uh, the gay dads, uh, Culber and... Uh, um, Stamets. Stamets, yeah. Uh, going through their things, like, especially Paul. Paul, uh, got his, like, risking losing his family here. Like, he's the one who is in the best place because he has everything he loves in the, yeah. still here. Although that wasn't a risk that he took. No, but he still had to go through the trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, everything and this season highlighted that a lot like Saru hurting because it was like no Kelpians <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and no superior officer to show him the way yeah mm-hmm. and so like I thought Discovery season 3 did a lot of great work towards showing people actually hurting and working through their feelings mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure there's always better ways it could have done that or it could have been an extra season or episode or two but I'm glad. I'm glad what we got for what we got. Since you mentioned Giorgio, let me ask, why did she even bother going to the future? I mean, I know it's because she cares about Michael and wanted to be there for her. From that narrative perspective, I get it. But she didn't actually like do a lot this season, except for that one episode where they went to save Book from being a slave. And so I feel like she kind of went to the future only to realize, oh, I can't survive here. I'm going to go back to the past. And from a Star Trek franchise perspective, since we know she has a Section 31 spinoff, seems like it almost would have been easier for her to just stay behind in the first place. Yeah, but then she's a jerk. Yes, there is right? that. She needed that yeah, whole so, experience with Carl. Ex- ex- well, exactly. And and from the viewer perspective, if Michael is about to go into the future, Giorgio says, nah, then we as a viewer are like, wow, hate you. Oh. So that was... Although it it's a little clunky, it makes perfect sense to me. You have to have you you if you're going to follow her in into this spinoff, which is what they want you to do, you need to feel good about her. So she goes into the future with Michael because they love each other. Then she goes into the past so that you can see how much she's grown, and now she's going to go do her spinoff. And you can go into that rooting for her instead of rooting against her. Well, see, that's interesting. The way I had been framing the question was, what did going to the future do for Burnham? Almost nothing. What did going to the future do for Discovery? Almost nothing. But you asked the question, what did going to the future do for Giorgio? The answer is a lot. (laughs) Got it. That makes sense. Thank you. (laughs) See? See? Sometimes you can actually make me like Star Trek more, Susan. (laughs) (laughs) That is always my aim to make people like Star Trek. <laughs> I just, I, I so loved the conversations that Giorgio had with Culber when she, something is going wrong and she's trying to just gut through it. And then he finally tells her like, yeah, no, that's, that's not going to work. And here's <laughs> why. And okay. Yeah, and she's, she's being so vile to him. And he doesn't care. He's like, mm-hmm, yeah. Well, when you're done with that, why don't you come on down to sickbay and we'll talk about what we can do for you. Mm-hmm. And having been a person who was ill and was would not accept help 
and would not act like anything, would not admit anything was wrong to anyone, including myself. Very relatable and very appreciated that the way the way they handled those scenes and how he spoke to her with with kindness, but he wasn't going to indulge her. He wasn't going to fight her and he wasn't going to indulge her. And that was really, that said a lot to me about his character. Like, ah, now I get why Stamets adores you so much. <laughs> now I understand who you are as a, as a person as opposed to a prop. Yeah, and this season highlighted you in so many ways. Yeah. As that warm, kind person. I who is not putting him. up with your BS. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. Well, I loved him. Well, as you said, we saw a lot of characters suffering this season. Last season was Culber's turn to suffer. So he's already been through the fire. And now he's here in season three to help guide other people through it. Yeah, and like I said before with Paul, like, it doesn't matter when he is. He's with Paul. He's got his family. And now he has his adopted family. Right. Because uh, like, like Giorgio said, if I had time, I'd poison your children. Culber said, if I had time, I would have children. And now he does. <laughs> now he does. I, oh, I love that line so much. It was so good. It was so good. I adored the adopted family storyline. As a queer woman who has adopted families, it meant a lot to me to see this on TV to see this here. Uh, I, I did not see that storyline coming. Like when Adira showed up, I'm like, okay, here's a trill. And they're going to have all this historical knowledge that we need to unlock the mysteries of the future. That's great. I love this. And I never expected that Adira would connect with Stamets and Culber and vice versa to the point where Stamets was saying, I have a partner and a child. I was like, yeah. what? that blew me away. I loved it. It was natural. It fit in. But for me, it was very unexpected. I liked it because it softened Stamets. Yes. So much. Which he needed. Because, yeah, we get it. You're brilliant. The first season, he was... Incorrigible. Super, yeah. <laughs> super jerk. Unpleasant. Why am I supposed to care about this person at all? That's always that's always the core of my question. Why am I supposed to care if this, about this person? Mm -hmm. If this person dies, I'm I should feel something. And if I don't, you failed at storytelling. And this, I I so loved seeing him being that safe space for Adira while they mm -hmm. figured out a lot of stuff. And oh god, especially when Adira is talking about how Gray won't talk to them anymore. And Stamets asked them about it and, and they, they try to blow it off and, and he won't let it go. And it's this wonderfully parental, supportive, I'm not entirely sure I can understand what's going on with you, but I care about you. So I want to help you mm -hmm. however I can. Loved it. You know, Stamets has really vacillated between being a jerk and being not a jerk. I recently rewatched the season one episode Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad, also known as the Groundhog Day episode. And that was like right after he had made his connection to the mycelial network. And he was acting like he was high at the beginning of the episode. And Culber even excused him and said, I'm sorry, my partner's exploring new aspects of his personality. 
and in one of those time loops, he even like taught Burnham how to slow dance. And when she said, I've never been in love before, he said, I'm sorry. Aww. So there, there are those moments where he is kind and gentle, but you're right. That's overall not a consistent aspect of him. Although we did see in this season, he really mouthed off at Tilly in one episode. I was like, wow, that was old Stamets. And by the end of the episode, he apologized to her. Well, here's the thing about brilliant people. Because I know a lot of them. I am fortunate in my travels to have encountered genuinely brilliant people. They're often jerks. Because for, for two reasons. One, it's just really hard for them to interact with other people because most people just aren't on their level. But then also because they know they're weird and the... It, they're rejecting everybody else before they they are rejected themselves. And Stamets strikes me very much as that. He's going to be this prickly person so that you can't... I'm not, I'm not going to invite you to my birthday party so that you can't refuse to come. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, he's got, he's got a soft and squishy middle. <laughs> it reminds me of how he met Culber. Like he, they were sitting at a cafe and he turned to Culber and said, could you please stop humming? I'm trying to enjoy myself. So Culber got up and sat closer to him. (laughs) (laughs) Not the first day. They really are perfect together. (laughs) I mean, as you just said, Stamus tries to push people away and this time it had the opposite effect. So you just got to get through that hard outer shell. Exactly. Hmm. Get to the squishy center. Yay. Benefits. (laughs) And it, but if you do get to the squishy center, he he is there for you for life. He will do anything for you. Unless you cross him, he was pretty pissed at Burnham by the end of the season. Well, understandably. Uh yeah, I'm with him on this one. Like I I agree she did what she needed to do. He is a unique asset that was that needed to be protected. He's also a human being. They're both right. Mm-hmm. Do you think she could have done things differently? Of course she could have. Like what? I don't know. Not, you're not the writer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Uh, yes, but she's... Burnham is also a jerk. I mean, let's let's be clear about that. She's not going to waste a whole lot of time worrying about that. Not that she doesn't care. She does care. But she also kind of assumes it'll either get fixed or it won't. And that's just how it is. And there are more important things to worry about. Mm -hmm. And there aren't for him. I think she'll care in the next season. I think if she, not just from a captain's perspective, you need to get along with your crew. But I think... That is a riff that she personally will want to heal if she can without compromising Agreed. her command. Agreed. Agreed. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and we've seen Paul be very forgiving, even in this season, when like Kayla ripped into him at Thanksgiving dinner, the end of the episode, he's hugging her. Oh. Uh, uh, there was another thing in the season where there was some toughness, but by the end they made up. And here, though, the end of this season, he was giving her plenty of looks, so I can't wait to see that relationship mending. 
Well, I mean, here's here's how that plays out, though, right? So he's pissed at her. He doesn't want to talk to her. He's not, you know, he's doing, we saw him give her major death stare, Luigi death stare. <laughs> but Hugh is going to tell him she did the right thing and you need to get over it. Yep. That totally and it'll sounds take like some him. time. Yeah. Especially when you see both Adira and Hugh smile big when they see Michael. Yeah. And he's just doing his patented Anthony rap pouty face. Uh, and he does really well. Uh, <laughs> well, especially but, from Culber and Adira's perspective, Michael is the one who saved them. Yeah. And I think uh-huh. even when they get the fuller picture from Stamets, I don't think that changes the end result. Mm-mm. No, Culber, Q will always say, needs of the many. Yep. Always. 100%. Also, it's more important to me that she saved you than me, my darling. He's going to say that, too. Uh-huh. But St- Stamets loves his family, and he, you know, he's Papa Bear. He will rip the throat out of anybody who threatens his family. Mm-hmm. Totally get that. Love that about him. And Colbert chose to stay on that planet even before he knew Adira was beaming down. That's true. Like, he was willing to sacrifice himself to be with Saru and Sukal and lose his family. And that's, and for a lot less than the sake of the Federation. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of Sukal, yes. the burn. What about the burn? Oh, it, Susan. T- I have the same feeling. It turned out to be such a minor part of this, despite being the thing that caused all the trouble they're in. Such a low light of the season for me. The, it just didn't matter. I mean, the the burn is what allowed the Federation to be destroyed. But what I really disliked was what caused it. It was, I mean, okay, I can understand that the grief and rage you feel over losing your mother is significant. I'm not trying to put down what Sukal was going through, but it would have been so much more interesting to me had it been, say, an, an attack by the Emerald Chain. Oh, that would have been way more interesting. Right. I Here's my problem with it. They come up with this incredibly cool mystery, and it turns out to be a guy. Yeah. Oh, and if you take him away from this place, it'll never happen again. Really? Yep. <laughs> and as I mentioned to Sabriel, the reason that Discovery is in the future is because they travel through time, which in order to make possible, they first use the Red Angel suit to make all these changes in the past, all those different flares that showed up in season two, one of which was the evolution of the Kelpian race, which ultimately caused the burn. So Discovery is indirectly responsible for the burn. They gave Kelpians spacefaring ability, which landed them on the Dilithium planet and caused the burn. Now, see, I like that. You do? I do. I do. See, here's why. (laughs) Michael always, it's like how she started the war. Because, like, I know what the right thing to do is. It's this. (laughs) She doesn't think very far ahead and so i i like that this thing they did even if everybody agreed that this was the right thing to do led to some completely unforeseeable disaster i think that's cool because doing all the right things in the right order doesn't guarantee anything Hmm. 
I love that. That's super cool. It means like, everything's up for grabs. What? A, uh, I mean, that's even a, an adage I use in D and D, and I tell players like, you can do everything right and still lose. Yep. <laughs> you can do nothing wrong and still come out behind. Yeah, but if I wanted to learn that lesson, I wouldn't be watching Star Trek. I'd just be living my life. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that, that, I mean, here, that does raise a question of what do you want from a Star Trek show? Because I feel like, and this is my big issue with the burn going, and now Saru isn't captain anymore. And, oh, well, we got all the dilithium we need so we can, everybody can fly real fast again. And just bringing it back to ye old same Star Trek kind of situation just with cooler technology. Is that what you want? Is that what you want from a Star Trek show? You know what? I could answer this one way where towards the end of this discovery, I was like, I was feeling, you know what? I kind of miss that episodic nature of the old series or older series. And while I was doing some other things this last week, I was like, I'm going to watch some of that, but I don't know what I want to watch. So I pulled up the Googles and I typed in random Star Trek episode, figuring maybe someone is out there has made some kind of generator to do that. It turns out someone has. That's brilliant. Yeah, it's great. I watched some episodes of TNG that I had not seen in ages. And what going through that, I was like, you know what? I have, what, 21, 25, 26 seasons or so, seven seasons of Star Trek, where I have that episodic nature for the most part. I've had all that. Mm-hmm. And I can watch it anytime on Netflix now. Uh, you know what? Maybe I am good where, where Star Trek has gone in the new incarnation because I have how many episodes is 27 seasons of Star Trek that does, is not that, mm-hmm. that I can go to anytime. So like, you know what? Maybe I don't want need new episodic nature of Star Trek. I'm cool with Discovery and how it is. And if you want new episodic Star Trek, well, there's the Orville. Yeah. No. No. Ah. No. What? Susan, are we in a fight? Okay. Let me tell you when I dropped off the Orville. Was it exactly. when they cut off his leg? No. Okay. Because uh, I was I was a fan. I was absolutely a fan because it's, you know, it's Star Trek, but silly. They, when they... I think I know. Created, they, 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 they land in a society where they have caste systems based on your zodiac sign for all intents and purposes. <laughs> uh-huh. And so they basically create a star or the appearance of a star to screw with said belief system. They free a, a, a cast where, where the society has no infrastructure to support. There's no jobs. There's no housing. There's no food, nothing. And then they leave. Oh, peace out. Okay. We've destroyed your entire society. Bye. Uh-uh, no. Were you okay with season two of Discovery where they evolved the entire Kelpian race without their consent? Remind me how that happened. Uh, they hit the planet with some sort of beam or ray that accelerated the process by which their threat ganglia or whatever uh, oh, fall yeah, off. Yeah. And 
Yeah. I don't remember that at all. Yeah. I that, blanked it out. I blacked it out. That's why I say they caused the burn because they evolved the Kelpians. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, if they were, here's the thing though. If all they did was speed it up, I mean, it was going to happen anyway. Well, do you think that it's possible that Orville planet would have eventually realized the error of their ways? For sure. But they would have supposedly had housing, have jobs, have a place for these people to go. They, the Vorville basically flipped a switch. And now, you know, what, what was it? Hundreds of thousands or millions of people are now displaced. Presumably a twelfth of the population, yeah. Presumably. Yes, there you go. Math. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, while I, I don't think the... The intent was Star Trek. The execution was Orville, but it was so egregious. I just couldn't hang. I'm sorry. However, back to episodic nature. I think you can still do monster of the week. For sure. You know, as discoveries, I don't think everything has to be these big overarching storylines and everything has to build on the one before i think you can still because this is what the x-files did it had that mix of it was either a lore episode or a monster of the week episode awesome you can totally do that with discovery and that's kind of what season four of enterprise did they had several two and three parters but within those they were siloed from each other so you could watch the one off or the two off or the three off without watching the rest of the season and still feel complete with the story arc yeah, love that. Perfect. Mm-hmm. You can do that. Mm-hmm. You can have stuff simmering in the background. That's totally fine. Sure. Yeah, Sabriel and I noted that what Discovery has had so far is sort of a three-season arc. True. That's very true. And now they finally have a clean slate. They're in a new time period. They finally know who their captain is for once. We'll never find out who they're going to Vulcan to pick up, by the way, at the end of season one. But they can do whatever they want. (laughs) That guy lost his job. I know, right? (laughs) Like, what the hell? I I just want, like, this short trek that's just this Vulcan sitting at a space dock for five minutes waiting for a (laughs) ship to come in. No, still not here. And then someone whispers into his ear, and then his eyebrow just raises, and then he turns and walks the other way. Damn it. (laughs) Then he's like, then he's he's on his communicator looking for space Uber. Posting a job listing, Vulcan captain. <laughs> what, what was it like? LFS looking for ship. <laughs> LFC looking for command. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so, which of these? Th- how would you rank these three seasons, Susan? Golly, um, that's tough. That's really tough because they all have elements that I thought were very, very strong, and then elements that I thought were very, very weak. First was probably the weakest just because they had so much they needed to establish. Like, oh, gosh. Tardigrade? Is that what they are? Uh How many episodes did we spend on that? Too many. Wow. I get – Okay. To to be fair, I did Google that stuff afterwards to try and figure out what the heck they were talking about. As a recent rewatch of Discovery Season 1 – to show me like what we perceive is 
is not the case. Like I thought the Tardigrade was such a much bigger, longer arc. It was like two episodes. The mirror, mirror universe people like half a season. They were there for like three, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Right. Like the, the mental, like what we have in our heads of season one is way different than what actually occurred. Like, wow. I thought this was a way bigger part. Like, nope. <laughs> Uh, season one had some serious pacing issues yes yes i think that would be the blame why we all feel that way what about the other season susan oh um oh right season one was the klingon thing well there you go season two had pike so done (laughs) that's all you need really he's so good though he's so good yeah anson mount like helped really carry that season yeah he did a lot of work i mean especially he did season, a lot of heavy lifting season one a lot of people objected to the way discovery was run they felt it was too dark a star trek when star trek was supposed to be yeah. optimistic and well in hindsight that's because the ship was run by a captain from the mirror universe <laughs> and, and you know the mirror of a mirror of a captain from the mirror universe is pike yes that's a real yeah that's a good point so that was a very nice transition and a very welcome one after dealing with the jerk who was Lorca for so long. Speaking of Lorca, yeah. in the Mirror Universe episodes in this season, we got teased his name so much to not see him. Uh, he should have been there at some point. Yeah. I don't know. He should have been the guy they chased, killed. I don't know. But though, with how, much, how many times they name dropped him, we deserve to see him. I can see that. If he was the guy they beamed over from the shuttle at the very end and then Giorgio just kills him, that would have been cool. I didn't need to see him prolonged throughout those two-parter, but yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I was just, yeah, they just name-dropped that name too much to not see him. Uh, Plus, I just want to see him. They didn't mention him. Yeah, I mean, that's true too, but it's just like, yeah, whatever. Uh, <laughs> so, Susan, I'm inferring that you're you would rank these seasons as two, three, one. I think I would. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, I was thinking that previous seasons had these holy crap moments for me. Like season one might have been holy crap they're in the mirror universe. Holy crap, Ash Tyler is a Klingon. Holy crap, Lorca is from the mirror universe. And season two had like holy crap, the Red Angel is her mother. Holy crap, it's the Talosians. Holy crap, she is the one who goes back in time and does all the red flare stuff. And season three, there was only one moment like that for me, and it was the Guardian Forever, and that was just like this one small moment that didn't dramatically change the course of the season. You know, like Lorca being from the Mirror Universe, that was a big deal. That changed everything. I don't really feel like I had a lot of holy crap moments. It was cool to see the earth of a thousand years from now, Trill, Vulcan. I don't dispute that, but, or sorry, Navarre. I want to respect the names. Uh, yes. But mm-hmm. I feel like there were less shock and awe in this season. I feel like. You're, that is absolutely true. Without doubt. They, I feel like this season to its detriment was going for more interpersonal kind of stories. There's an entire episode for Adira talking to her previous selves. Garbage. Ah. Just trash. You didn't like the plant, the episode where they went to Trill. 
I did not mm-hmm. because I didn't care about Adira yet. Yet. I this person was a non-entity to me. I knew the only reason I even knew to expect that I would eventually have to care about them was because I read things online and entertainment news about the actor. That's it. There had been, I had not been given an emotional reason to care about this person. And now you're devoting an entire episode to them. Waste of my time. And then there's the whole, Oh my God. And the whole episode where Burnham has, has to persuade the Vulcans and the Romulans to let her see this data. Oh, you mean where she had to defend her thesis? Correct. <laughs> Gripping. <laughs> <laughs> and I understand it, it's to work her mother back into the story because that had to happen somehow at some point. The whole reason they knew where to go was because that's where mom ends up. Fine. And I guess maybe they wanted to reintroduce that she was raised Vulcan. Okay, that's a a plot point that's clearly out the window now that Spock isn't around anymore. Right on. It was very boring. Mm. And that's two thirteenths of the season right there. The Trill and Vulcan episodes. Oh, I could go on. Oh, no. (laughs) Okay. Well, let's be honest. A whole lot of what was happening in the final two episodes was dumb. Ooh, look, it's a big, scary smoke monster. It's on the table. Look, it it was rendered in unity. Isn't it awesome? (laughs) I don't remember that line, but okay. (laughs) Okay, maybe that was just subtext. I don't know. But I, I... I love the idea, love, 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 love the idea that this scientist was pregnant, that she was dying. So she created this safe bubble to raise her child in with the expectation that Starfleet would be coming. I love that. I love that Starfleet never came. Awesome. I love that the simulation is breaking down. Super cool. And we chase a Kelpian around holograms for two hours. And we look like different species for reasons. I'm a little unclear on why that was important. (sighs) Yeah. The last couple of episodes, especially the last one was very action-packed, which... As Sabriel and I noted last season, the finale was action-packed, but it was paired with the penultimate episode, which was very talky. And so, seen as a whole, it sort of worked out. Whereas the three-parter finale, yeah, it didn't do everything that we hoped it would do. I mean, what did it do that worked for you? Uh, I enjoyed the Die Hard in Space Die hard in space. <laughs> it's what it was. She's walking around barefoot. She's walking around the air ducks uh, going yippee ki uh, <laughs> and t- trash talking them over the radio. It was die hard. Um, I enjoyed it for what it was. Did it really advance things? Eh, 
questionable. I really enjoyed the fight scene in the data core that the set was built just for that, that we didn't see before, had no build up to, which so it made no sense. Uh, the fight scene was neat. Made no sense. Uh, shoving Michael into the data core, apparently, I found out. Into the, the programmable matter. Weird, but okay. But I didn't know the stakes because I didn't know what this was. Mm-hmm. Mm. So there's some things that were neat, but look, they just like, we had some extra, we saved all our budget so we can do some cool scenes uh, where, man, like this could have been Can we pause shorter. for a moment and yeah. talk about, I'm sorry, where was that turbo lift going? <laughs> I, what was that? I mean, again, the fight scene was really cool. Absolutely. But what is what is this turbo lift technology? What is happening? It's like each turbo lift is now its own discrete cube that floats around a void. Yeah, that's what they're saying. The future is all about. And it, uh, we ha- and it goes through these like gates that scan it for something. <gasps> it was totally so we could have the chase scene from Into Darkness again, but in a space scene near the end of the movie. I mean. Now, it was totally unnecessary drama because we had a special effects budget we still had left over. Well, I, I understand that the transporters were not working in that episode, that the Emerald Chain had shut them down. But in general, I would think in the future that turbo lifts are for emergency backup purposes only because everybody has their own personal transporters. Oh, that's a point. I hadn't even thought about that. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Like to have that much of the insides of Discovery be devoted to a vacuum that turbo lifts can shuttle around in is a ginormous waste of resources when you can just tap your badge and end up wherever you need to be. Oh God, that makes it even worse. I hadn't even thought about that. You're so <laughs> right. Like in the TNG episode disaster, when the turbo lifts stop working, they start climbing up and down the turbo lift shafts, which we've seen really? and they're going through the Jeffrey's tubes. They should have Jeffrey's tubes in the future for emergencies for when the transporters aren't working. Not turbo lifts. Jeffrey's right. tubes are your backups. Yep. That makes complete sense. Complete sense. Yeah. No, it made no sense. <laughs> uh, in short. And uh, no, so much of the last three episodes were an action movie that was popcorn. It was filler. Yeah. It was a popcorn movie. I like popcorn. I mean, popcorn is good. It's not. It's not saying popcorn is bad. It's just like very flashy. Mm. We built up to this. We don't have much story here anymore because uh, we used all up in the chess scene between Vance and Osira. And uh, have fun with it. Right. <laughs> it. It felt like such a cop out to me. We spend so much time with Tilly growing into her role as acting captain. Absolutely loved. That she failed. Did she? Well, yeah, I mean, Osira took the ship pretty fast. Do you think somebody else would have done things differently? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't... Whether or not someone would have also failed isn't relevant huh. to Tilly. Hmm. She's the one dealing with doubt and growth. Because this is the thing. To grow into any role, you have to fail. You have to screw up. Because if you're if you're never failing, you're never taking any risks, and you're never trying anything new. Growth comes from failure. I mean, it comes from success too, but growth comes from failure. So that's a real character building moment for her. I loved it, and Osiris was 
so good when she's taunting her because she knows exactly how to get to her. It's so good. I love it. Love all of that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now, uh, you know, she's not acting captain anymore. So whatever. It's cool. Osiris sets up this amazing proposal, as we've already discussed. No, that didn't work out. Oh, wow. We found this really weird situation that's related to the burn. Oh, it was a boy who got upset that his mom died, but it'll never happen again. It's fine. Oh, and bonus. We have all the dilithium we'll ever need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just from that one planet. Cop out. It's just, it's just a huge cop out. One thing I liked about Tilly, though, you said that she failed, and I can see how that can be true with the ship being taken so easily. But in the TNG, when Troy was going to get promoted to command the ship, she had to go through that holodeck training simulation, and she kept trying to find a way to save the ship without Mm. hurting anybody. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, she realized she had to send Jordy to his death. Mm -hmm. And in Discovery, it was Tilly who came up with the suicide mission that was going to save the ship, and she never hesitated to say, this is what we need to do. Oh, correct. Yeah, no. So in that respect, she passed her command test with flying colors. Agreed. Completely agree. I mean, it goes back to what we said before. Like, she may have done that whole thing with Osira perfectly and still lost. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. I, I just, I love the constant sense of failure y'all are, are instilling in me. It's inevitable. <laughs> it's inevitable. Thank you. So here's a question for you. Season one, we had the Mirror Universe. Season two, we had Spock. We had the Telosians. Season three, we had the Guardian of Forever. Does Discovery lean too heavily on the original series? I think it did. Now, it can be. It has room to be its own thing. Going forward, yes, but for the first three seasons, I think for the first two. I mean, sure, we saw the Guardian of Forever, but for me, it was the first two where they leaned heavily on the original mm-hmm. series. Because three, they touched it, but because they don't rely on as much on TNG, DS9, Voyager. Those are so far in the future from Discovery's first two seasons. Technically, so is TOS. It's 10 years in the future. But they still relied on a lot of that contemporary knowledge and activity and incorporated it into the show. I would say TOS is probably the series that Trekkies are the least familiar with. Maybe that's a contentious topic. But I say that people who are coming into Star Trek now probably are not going to go back to watch this show from the 60s because it's the most dated of them all. Correct. Mm-hmm. And so does it make sense to rely on a show that most Trekkies haven't seen? It does when it's a show that's made for people who are not brand new to the, to the, to the uh, whole setting. Hmm. I mean, it was a show made for people who are Trekkies. CBS is like, if we get anybody who isn't Star Trek person buying uh, a CBS All Access, cool. Uh, but this is a show made for Trekkies. Disagree. I mean, yeah, I would make uh, that yeah, case it, for Lower it, Decks that that was a show made for to. us. But I think I don't think that they made a show t- without intent to expand their audience. Yeah, no, they, this this was meant to be a Star Trek that was accessible to a brand new audience. That was the intent. I think I do think they leaned very heavily on foundational Star Trek lore, which is to say TOS, for two reasons. One, it's safe. It's really hard to screw up. But two, okay, 
let's be honest. Star Trek fans can be a little <laughs> precious about what you're air quote allowed to do. Oh my god. And what is and is not air quote real Star Trek. Yep. So oh. I I think leaning on things that have uh, have been established and are known and work and are, are I mean it's they're good topics they were mining I think was a very a, a, a way to hedge their bets. That's a good way to put it. Sure. It's sort of the opposite of what they did with Enterprise, where it wasn't even called Star Trek mm-hmm. Enterprise at first. Yep. Yep. Instead yep. of yep. leaning away from it, Discovery leaned into it. Yep. Yep. Cool. We talked a little bit about Tilly and how well she did or did not do as both commander and captain. Susan, what are your thoughts about making Michael Burnham the captain? Hate it. Please do elaborate. She's not interesting as a captain. She's not. How would you know? You've never seen her as captain. I've seen her. She's, she's, I like her when she's self-indulgent because that is the full a that works as a foil for someone like Saru. Wonderful tension there. Uh, it also sets up the tension between because she was living in that future for a full year before Discovery showed up. And so she had to adapt the way she interacted with the universe. She had to change her rule set and her way of thinking. And that is a, is a really interesting tension against people who are like Starfleet. Hi, Starfleet. Starfleet. We're Starfleet. There are rules. Meh. She's that sort of bridge between th- this new way of doing things and 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 what they're theoretically trying to rebuild. Love that. Put her in charge. That all goes away. I mean, Vance did say that he loved that she did things her own way, but how much will she be able to continue doing that as captain? I don't know. I think she might be able to do it more. Yep. I bet you tons. Because in the past, the captains... You know, more or less, they do their own thing. They're allowed to break the rules. Oh, we can't. Oh, uh, Ensign, uh, we're getting static from Starfleet, right? We can't hear them, right? I, Captain. Uh, I mean, captains are allowed to break the rules. Now she's in a position where she's allowed to do it. Will it have that same grip as when she was not supposed to when she's first officer or lower? Hmm. Do you think we're going to find out? Do you think Tilly will remain the XO? I don't think so. Maybe she'll get. Like Harry Kim once in a while. <laughs> but, what do you mean? Oh, he he was like night bridge off. Uh, was it night watch or something like that once in okay. a while? So that means that Burnham needs to find a new commanding officer. Which maybe that's Saru. Uh, I see. So this is okay. So this is my question: Is Saru coming back? Because he's. I mean, he is off on Kaminar to integrate upset boy. Back into Kelpian society and also just, you know, hang with some Kelpians, which I totally respect. Mm-hmm. And if Doug Jones wanted off the show so that he does not have to be in that makeup every day, God bless, I get it. Yep. it ha- I mean, God, it's got to take, what, like eight hours right? to get into that? Oh, he oh, is coming back for season four. Okay. Well, then if he's coming back, he should be capped in the end. Well, I think 
the reason they sent him to Keminar is because if he didn't leave at least temporarily, the only way to get Michael to be captain of Discovery would be to demote Saru, and he's done nothing to deserve that. Correct. I think uh, when we posited this question last time, I think he might be go to like an ambassador position or some other non-leader uh, role. But then he, yeah, or they, I don't see him being a regular on the show in that role. More of a guest. Might star. not be. We don't know. But I can see that. Hmm. Or 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 maybe he's working at some kind of Federation hub, like a, like an Admiral Vance kind of thing. Or maybe he's just the lonely communications officer sitting all alone. Oh, no. <laughs> kind of like Transporter Chief O'Brien. Oh, uh, Quick side note. Speaking yeah. of Sukal, the actor who played him, I found out he's 70 years old. Wow. What? Well, the character yeah. is 120. Uh, Bill Irwin, uh, born in 1950, age 70. He's 10 years older oh, than Doug Jones. Right. It, it was Bill Irwin. I love Bill Irwin. Also, the voice of the robot in Interstellar. Oh really? <laughs> oh, and and played him as uh, played it as well. He he did the he actually worked the the I guess it's a puppet. I guess you'd call it a puppet. And they had to digitally remove the top of his head because you could see it over the top of the robot. Huh. <laughs> and there have been several uh, Sesame Street specials where he played Mister Noodle. <laughs> Uh, yes. So, so in Charlotte, but, he, but to add to it, he played a childlike creature really well. Mm-hmm. The 70 year old man. Amazing performer. He's an amazing performer. Hmm. You know, there was some discussion on Reddit to try to figure out who the president of the Federation was going to be, if we were going to find out who it was. And the wild guesses people were sharing are ones that never would have occurred to me. Like, some people thought it might be Jean-Luc Picard in his immortal robot body. Oh, yeah. <laughs> some right, some people thought it might true. be Ben Sisko returned from the prophets. Another interesting idea. And I, I just, I feel like that would have really stolen the spotlight and people would have wanted to see that story instead of Discovery's story. Correct. Yeah. But this is, here's the thing. This is part of the problem with Star Trek. People want, like, they want it to be Picard or they want it to be Cisco because they don't want, and this is, it's the whole, let's, we can't let Ray's parents be nobodies. It's that thing. So it's not just Star Trek fans. It's okay to have new things, folks. Yes. Maybe the president of the Federation is someone named Becky. You don't know. (laughs) It's, It's fine. President Becky. President Becky, yeah. just let it let it be something new. Yep. I want to know more about the, um, glasses guy Kovac. Yeah. Yes. Whose name was not given in the show? It was found in the like show notes. Uh, I don't. I had a theory. Maybe he was president. He didn't need to be. It wouldn't necessarily make more or less sense. I'm more confident after the finale that he's not the president. But he's th- so fun. But the fact that you have this guy who a wears a suit. B, wears glasses, and C, is fascinated by the mirror universe from which there have been no crossovers in the last 500 years. I want to know why this guy is. Yeah. I support that wanting to know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And his scenes with Giorgio were so oh, fun. They played off each other so well. Mm-hmm. I was surprised he showed up in the finale again at all because – 
without George O, I felt like his expertise was no longer relevant. Well, at least what we know of his expertise. Right. Might, that might be his little side yeah, project that's hobby. <laughs> that's a really good point. Well, right. That's one of the reasons why I thought maybe he is the president. Like, oh, he showed back up. He has something to do that isn't mirror related. Maybe he's the president. But that would have been the time to reveal that. Like, oh, Mr. President, we need to get you to safety. Osiris attacking Federation headquarters. Mm. It's, it's the doctor. The doctor? Yeah, not not Doctor Who doctor. It's Voyager's doctor. The the uh, one that had come from who had, and there was the episode of Voyager where it was a museum far in the future, right? And he sets off on a shuttlecraft back towards Federation space that he known Federation space, right? Well, the timing fits where he could make it back by now. So now it's him. You think? Oh, you think Doctor's, he's the president? Yeah, oh. he was president of Earth in the holodeck, and now he's president of Federation. Hmm. I'm kidding. I don't think it's him, but. Uh, I mean, if we're going to go with Picard or Cisco for some bad reason, uh, why not the Doctor? Well, we had a rough outline of things we want to talk about regarding Season 3 of Discovery. That hits most of the points. Uh, the only question I have left standing is how the short trek Calypso ties in. I don't think we have any information yet on which to answer that, though. I think time will tell. They gave us no new clues. Haven't seen it. You haven't seen the short treks? I've seen some of them. You can binge all 10 of them in like an hour. I know. I know. I, I know. See, this is the problem <laughs> when you have a partner that you, if you get, oh, did you watch that without me? But then, <laughs> okay, well, do you want to watch these? No. no. Okay. <laughs> Just send them out I of the think- house for an hour. Say, say, you know, mommy needs her alone time. <laughs> and when you, see, he, and he comes back when you're all caught up. Let's see, one of my partners should just like, you want to watch this new Marvel thing? Nah, I'm done with Marvel. I think okay, and goes on to watch whatever comes out now. Uh, well, the nice thing about short treks is there are 800 plus episodes of Star Trek within the franchise, and trying to get your t- foot in the door can be rather intimidating. Short treks, five minutes later, you're done. Yep. You know, and yes, there are layers of appreciation if you have some background, some history, but it's just fun. Most of them are just fun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it, I saw the one where Pike is giving people performance reviews. <laughs> uh, like just, just conceptually, I love that. I don't think that's a thing. There was one where he was doing the yeah. training exercise where he saw. Right. No, yeah. that's, that's, that's the only one yeah. I can think of. You got the idea. Uh, if you get a chance, I suggest Calypso. For me, that was an emotional short one that has no co- very little connection to anything else. Yeah. It, it, but yet yeah, does. So, Susan, your homework in your copious mm, spare yes. time. Until yes. season four recap. So you got like a year and a half. It's just, <laughs> so, so I have some time. From season one of Short Treks, there were four episodes. Mm-hmm. Go watch the one that is called Calypso. And keep okay, in what, mind. What, I might I might have seen it. What's it about? It's set like a thousand years in the future on a deserted discovery. Oh, okay. And watch it and keep in mind that it aired before season two of Discovery. Okay. And then try to figure out. How long a game are the producers playing here? Mm. Okay. So, anyway, we my only final thoughts. Yes, were um, the season three discovery legitimized uh, dis- Enterprise's temporal wars, and it legitimized the Kelvin universe. 
Yes. In the yeah, Commander Yor. Prime canon. Yeah. And so, like, yeah, a few people who say, X is not Star Trek. Now it is. <laughs> well, I guess the movies and the TV shows used to be owned by separate entities within CBS and Paramount, and now they're all united so that they can talk to each other. Oh, right. Yeah. So there's that. Right. Kind of like how the Marvel TV shows and the Marvel movies used to be able to reference each other, but you couldn't have crossovers. And the Lord of the Rings movies and the Lord of the Rings games were licensed to different video game companies. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Now I wonder yeah. if the new Lord of the Rings show, who that belongs to, besides Amazon. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. <sighs> Susan, any parting shots about Discovery Season 3? Grudge is a queen. Yep. <laughs> More grudge, please. Yep. Star Trek grudge. I just, you know, I... I just appreciate how Star Trek embraces cats. Because, I mean, like, you know, it's always dogs, dogs, dogs. And I love dogs. Obviously, we all know I love dogs. But I just love that Star Trek is so partial to cats. It makes me happy. Besides Spot and Grudge, are there others? There, Yeah. There, uh, oh, in, orig- in the original series, there's the episode where, uh, like, there's some kind of magician kind of guy and the cat has a little, she's wearing the enterprise around her neck. Yes. Okay. Uh, and, um, and then there's like another villainous character who has a cat because cats. The one where the giant cat walks around. There you go. Yes. Was that, that wasn't Spock's brain, was it? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> also, can we, uh, more Tilly standing up to Michael. Yes. I just I don't I don't get why everybody worships Michael. I don't. She's brilliant. Awesome. That's great. She kind of screws things up a whole lot. And like Tilly's doing all the work and being all brave and stuff and making the hard decisions. Why why aren't people like noticing that more? Yep. That's all. That's all. Yes. You know, the other night I was watching the movie Marriage Story starring mm. Black Widow and Kylo Ren. Mm-hmm. And who should show up as an extra in one scene but Mary Wiseman? Oh, no way. She had no lines. She was just in a performance troupe that Adam Driver was directing. And there she was in the cast, you know, going through the dance moves in a rehearsal. And that was it. Uh, this movie came out in 2019. So after she had obtained her role on Star Trek Discovery. I don't know if necessarily when it was filmed, but mm. I would certainly like to see her in bigger roles than just background actor. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. When I saw her, I was like, oh, she's going to play an important part. Nope. Nothing. All right. Susan, thank you so much for joining us on this show. Remind our listeners where they can find more of your witticisms online. Oh, well, good luck with that. <laughs> uh, but but you can find me online. I, I don't vouch for witty. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Susan Arndt. You can listen to me on Continue Podcast, which is a podcast about video games. Or you can find me at the Long-Legged Beasties podcast, where we talk about horror movies and attempt to put them in their correct genre. I listened to the challenges you had with Gremlin. Is it uh, nature or creature? Uh, Okay, so we get super nerdy about what a Gremlin actually is in relation to a Mogwai. Okay. (laughs) I felt like there's a mic drop that I missed. Is she still there? I've never actually seen Gremlin. Is she still there? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm still there. Okay, sorry. Hi. 
Okay. Yeah. And I loved it. I am all about the taxonomies. Yeah. I, I mean, it was just the, it's a ridiculously inside baseball conversation. So if you too enjoy discussing whether or not, is a gremlin a separate creature or is it just a natural evolution of a mogwai? Give it a listen. <laughs> <laughs> Will do. And Bree, this is our last episode of Transporter Lock until there is more Star Trek to review. At least that is the plan right now. Maybe we'll have some sort of an interstitial episode, but generally we only air when there is new Trek to discuss. So in the meantime, where can people find you online? Uh, you know what? Uh, just go to stayreal.gay. That brings you to my Twitter feed. <laughs> that's that's the most important thing right there. Best TLD ever. <laughs> I love it. And I am Ken Gagney. You can find me at GameBits or at KenGagney.com. Until next time. Uh, Detmer and Owe Sakoon forever. They are clearly a couple. They are. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at TransporterLock or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at TransporterLock.com. Yeah, I mean, you're supposed to hate your day jobs so that you can do fun things the rest of the time. Yeah, I, mm, that led me to be in web media for 15 years, and let's not go down that path again. <laughs>